Broadcasting live from Mon Mothma's skincare routine, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. We are here in the cold light of day, Seamus, to talk about the full season of the Disney Plus original smash hit, Ahsoka. <laughs> oh boy, I'm actually very excited. Maybe it's just because it's been so crazy with travel and I was sick for like a full week and all that, but I feel like we've barely talked about the actual details of Ahsoka more than like the big, big stuff, so I, I think it's going to be very interesting. I agree, and... We've got some other news coming up quick before that, starting, of course, with our obligatory strike update. Now, you already know from the last couple weeks that the WGA did agree to a tentative deal, but it has officially passed by 98% majority, so a near-unanimous deal for the WGA. While that's all well and good, and we're very glad to see it just like we were last week. The AMPTP has suspended negotiations with SAG-AFTRA after they refused an offer that mirrors the WGA's deal, which included a potential 2% profit share that the AMPTP described as an untenable economic burden. I think last episode we were definitely a lot more optimistic about the the negotiations with SAG going forward, but... This is in the in the cold light of all of this other stuff. And, I mean, it's great that the WGA, 98%, that means that everybody's pretty much coming out really happy with it. We're truly not out of the woods yet with other strikes potentially looming and, and this where they're just fully stepping back from the table. I'm, oh boy, I, I'm back down to this could go on indefinitely. Speaking of... Terrible decisions that are motivated by corporate greed and strikes. We've got, for the first time ever on this podcast, a DreamWorks dread. (laughs) Yeah, I guess this is the first time. I don't know if there's going to be a a distorted acoustic guitar (laughs) associated with it or something, but... DreamWorks, the reason they are in our news this week is the fact that they have announced that DreamWorks Animation will be shifting away from producing films entirely in-house and will begin relying on more third-party animation companies. And before we start talking about that, we also have to bring in a Netflix nuisance. You know this one! (laughs) Oh yes, of course. Just nothing but Ah! true, true noise. Good God. (laughs) Netflix is likewise restructuring their animation unit with massive layoffs and shutting down two films that are already in pre-production. They're also planning to acquire third-party films going forward rather than produce films in-house. So I think we can state the obvious and say that an animation strike is looming and these notoriously kind of dodgy companies are trying to get ahead of that preemptively. Yeah, I think if it wasn't coming before, it surely is now. Um, I think the real disturbing part of all of this, we you mentioned like an AI-written movie, or AI-generated live-action movie, but just an AI-generated animated movie is... I mean, that could already happen now, and half of the people wouldn't even notice, probably. I fear for that kind of future, and I know that Disney was already dabbling with that in their stupid secret invasion intro so i i do not feel super great about it this is really bleak especially for dreamworks which is one of the 
premier animation studios in Hollywood, the idea that they're going to be leaving behind their own primary in-house projects and just going more and outsourcing is, is really sad. And I feel like they've already had a over-reliance on pre-existing IP of late, and that combined with the fact that they've had a couple of films recently that not only have underperformed at the box office, but I think most people haven't even heard of. That Teenage Kraken movie, Seamus, that we didn't believe was real, I believe that was a DreamWorks. Oh, in my many viewings of The Little Mermaid, that was always one of the trailers, and I forgot about it every single time. (laughs) So, this is a big ol' sack of bad news. Truly, we're going to have to make a a sound sting for our strike segment now, because it is just going to be more important than ever. It's going to grow as the rest of our news segments shrink and become attached to the strike segment. No kidding. In some slightly better news, I mean, still not great news, but it's better than the alternative, certainly. Following up on a piece of news that we had a couple weeks ago, the Spiderwick Chronicles TV show that was fully completed, but for some reason not going to air on Disney+, Plus has been picked up by the Roku channel, and they will be airing this new Spiderwick series, which, good, I'm glad it found a home, and I hope 20,000 Leagues can do the same. Yeah, honestly, this is more than I thought was going to happen with the Spiderwick Chronicles, and Roku has been putting out and distributing some very interesting stuff. Like, I still want to see that Weird Al movie, damn it. But I, I, I will definitely, we're going to, power up your Roku at some point. We're going to watch this show together. I mean, we were already at least semi-interested when we were hearing news about it as it was being developed. So this is kind of a a major win, I would say, at the very least, in terms of, like you're saying, the alternative of just being lost forever. Hard agree. But we have one last piece of video game news here. There was an announcement this week of the new PS5 Slim model launching next month. It's going to be smaller, uh, have a one terabyte storage. There will be an $80 add-on UHD drive for the digital edition, and it will phase out the production of the original PS5 model. Everybody who bought all your fancy plates, say goodbye to those, I guess. That's bizarre, I think, that because it's got that four-plate model. I don't know if you saw it. It has, like, a sword slash down the side. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was... Strange, and I mean, I I'm not running out to get the new model or anything. I think that you know, pretty s- substantial upgrades all around. I didn't realize how much actually slimmer it was until I saw the side by side picture today, and I think for just storage alone, that's a pretty pretty solid upgrade. And it sounds like the bottom right plate, when you remove it, that's where the drive will go. So it's not just like you plug in the USB and it's like you can actually kind of turn it back into a PS5 disc edition, which I think is a cool strategy. I do think it's strange that it only comes with a base that you could put it down horizontally. If you want to buy the vertical base, you have to get it separately. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, I mean, money's money. You know, Jim Ryan, he's on the way out, but he's he's going to get as much as he can. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to feverishly get this announcement out as fast as possible. Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, I mean, we'll definitely touch back more on this during our pop culture reference, which will kind of focus around the history of PlayStation's tendency to create alternate versions of their consoles. But I don't think this is a bad thing. I hope it means that this will be more accessible than 
the PS5 was at launch because the price point is changing a little bit, which I think is an interesting decision as well. Yeah, at the very least, I'm with you. A bunch of people are going to get PlayStation Slims for Christmas this year. Love it. Love it. More people playing. Nothing wrong with that. Without any more stalling, we, we should probably get into what we actually came here to talk about today. Garrett, what do you say we get into Ahsoka? Let's take the plunge. For today's main segment, we are going to be following up on our initial Ahsoka premiere episode and rounding out the entire season of the Disney Plus original series, Ahsoka. Garrett, before we get into too much, is there any pre-spoiler things you wanted to add on to your thoughts from our from our previous Ahsoka episode? I retain my notion that if you did not watch the cartoons, there is literally no reason for you to watch this. And without getting too far ahead of ourselves, uh, not much if you did watch the shows anyway. So uh, let's, uh, I definitely agree with you on that. At the very least, if you are going to get literally anything out of it, you must have done your homework. I'm hoping that however many more seasons of this storyline that we are going to be getting, no matter how good this show actually is right now, I hope they can build off of what they have here how they ended things i think just like when the season started i think that they can go to interesting points in this story with these characters but they just have to actually do it first and yeah they didn't do, they didn't do it yet they still uh... it's not like they tanked it so hard that they couldn't find somewhere to go that i would actually be interested and i think that despite the fact that we literally just got into the main segment my blanket statement of, like, just don't bother if you don't <laughs> haven't watched the cartoons. And if you have watched the cartoons, well, one, the real answer is go watch Star Wars Rebels. If you've not watched Star Wars Rebels, go watch it. Because that is a great show, even with its follow-up here being lackluster. It is so great at getting to the core of what Star Wars is in a way that this is not. And... For the people who have watched those things, I think it's it, we we better get into the spoilers, Shavis. I I think we might as well before we we explode from what we were trying to say here. I feel like nothing really for what was supposed to be the most incredibly explosive show, a culmination of an entire other series and two other a, series, two other series and. Well, maybe three other series if you throw Mando in there. If you want to pretend like this is really more about Ahsoka than anything else. I don't know, man. Nothing happened. In the moments where everything should have happened, uh, nothing happened. <laughs> Ezra's just standing there. And... They're just, like, doing the same, like, took you long enough kind of snark instead of collapsing into each other's arms and tears because they are family to each other and they're finally reunited i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves it's kind of crazy that they just found ezra bridger walking around and they were like <laughs> hey you want to come be in our show because this guy is kind of great aman Asfandi, i thought he was the best part of this show because I... he felt exactly like the character 100 percent agree i thought he and that's why i'm disappointed that they didn't get to have him have his moments really i i thought he was fantastic I think the beard looks awesome on that character. It looks so much like his dad. He looks so oh, much totally, like his dad. totally, totally. And the fact that they kind of... There's a bit of 
sheer at Imway style force hand to hand kung fu fighting that mm-hmm. he's doing for a while that I kind of hoped would stick around a little bit more. But then again, this show kind of wraps up pretty much right after all of that stuff starts happening anyway. So I, I can't really ask for more of a show that was wrapping up. Well, you have already said two things, my big takeaways from this season, and you've already alluded to them. One, this is half a season of television. Yes. This is not a full season of television. I don't just mean episode count. I mean where these characters end up. We haven't told a full story yet. They run out of things to do with half of their principal cast, but they simultaneously don't take the time to luxuriate in moments that we have been waiting years to see culminate. And then on the flip side of that, part two, is this show should not be called Ahsoka, and Ahsoka should not be the main character, because... Frankly, she's a character that has been done for a while, as far as I'm concerned. Not only did she get her full Clone Wars arc resolved at the end of that show when Filoni finally got to go back and make the last season, but she gets a wonderful arc over the course of Rebels as well, and I feel like they have fully realized that character, and the reason she feels so off and so stoic is... She's beyond character development, it feels like, even though... (laughs) She's, like, outside of it at this point. (laughs) Like, Like, the way they do her character in Rebels, I, I, like, I hear exactly what you're saying. It almost feels like post-Rebels, whatever they were going to do with her, it should have been more of, like, a... In my mind, it was like she turns into some kind of Yoda, like a a reclusive, Uh very powerful Force user who may or may not guide others in the Force if they happen to stumble upon her. But now she's just, like, back in the fray, and it, we were really hoping during the two-episode premiere that she would kind of settle back into a little bit more familiar characterization, or at least characterization that wasn't so cold and stoic. But it, she's just like a statue throughout this entire thing, and I don't just mean because Rosario Dawson is kind of lumbering in her Jedi movements in a way that Ahsoka is not in any version of her character in animation. Ahsoka's fighting style was never going to translate well to live action, which I think brings me back, I think we kind of already said this, but I now watching this full season, I can definitely declare this should have been a full season, like a full television length season of an animated show where Ahsoka was not the main character. If you'd called it Sabine, that would have made a lot more sense. Now, I have thoughts about the dynamic between Sabine and Ahsoka, and the way that Sabine is characterized, and the fact that she's a Jedi at all, and that that character doesn't feel anything like the character from Rebels, and she also has a problem with Stoicism. Ignoring all of that, from a story structure perspective, it should have been her story, and Ahsoka should have been, like you said, the Yoda, or the Ben Kenobi. And... They just went with the animated character that had the most clout because they needed to appeal to a live-action audience, which is this series' biggest mistake. One of many, for sure. It's almost, to me, and I I don't quite think that this show was as bad as the Book of Boba Fett. Oh, no, certainly not. The idea of, like, we're gonna take a character that we know everybody, at the very least, knows at this point in some way or another and we're going to try to draw in with whatever broad kind of writing we can do with this character to appeal to as many people as possible but then it just doesn't like it doesn't it feels like half a character at that point it feels like a name on a body that is not even associated with 
what the legacy of that character feels like it should be at this point in the timeline. Because the most they do with her character-wise is they keep drawing parallels between, well, your master was Anakin Skywalker, and he turned out to be a pretty bad dude, so maybe you're a bad dude, but also maybe because you were ultimately failed by your master, you will ultimately fail your apprentice. That theme is technically present because they express it, but there is no dynamic storytelling executed to that effect. She and Sabine butt heads like a little bit at the beginning of the show. They get some pep talks from Hu Yang, the robot, and Force Ghost Anakin Skywalker. Uh, and then they're like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. we're cool now, so let's go get Ezra, I guess. And that's kind of the end of that. Like, that's the show's central conflict, technically. And it's just between these two, like you said, statues who are barely emoting and barely fighting. And there's no friction there. That's a great way to put it. There's no friction. It just feels like they're going from one place to another. Characters are splitting up and rejoining, and it doesn't feel like that means a single thing, even when the main crazy thing of this series of television is that they're going to another galaxy for the first time in all of the Star Wars stuff that we know. They're going to an entirely different galaxy, and it doesn't even feel like that is the craziest thing in the world. You well, know? you mean all of the rocks on the volume and the gray uh, and with the gray filter yeah. put over it? That other galaxy, Seamus? They couldn't have literally done anything cooler with the Pergil funeral planet, the graveyard. They couldn't have made that like kind of rad and metal. No, I mean, they could not have. The rings of Pergil skeletons around the planet—that's pretty sick. But but then that we just get down to the planet and. That's it. Then we're with, granted, the homies themselves, the crab nomad people. The hobbit have... crabs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're super strong uh, motorhomes that they crawl around <laughs> the planet on. Uh, I kind of wish we got to see inside Ezra's pad, but whatever. That That's the least of where my he, worries. Where he has collected weird stormtroopers. See, like... I wanted Ezra to get the weird Stormtrooper helmet with, like, the Roman face on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, at the very least, this is one of the first times that Star Wars has understood you can introduce, like, a cool second-in-command bad guy with a rad helmet and not kill him immediately <laughs> for no reason at all. So I'm, I'm happy that Enoch, Captain Enoch, is still alive. Unlike the rest of that zombie battalion oh that... yeah wait a minute is he alive or is he undead yeah, he's, no maybe? he's good he's good he's with ron still because that was a small part they were the volunteers right yeah they were yeah that with your favorite character morgan Elsbeth. <laughs> <laughs> what a who cares about morgan man that's the funniest thing is that they're just, like, throwing the word Night Sister out there now, and we're supposed to be like, oh, Night Sister, that's okay. so interesting and cool. The Blade of Talzin, obviously Mother Talzin, is that, like, from... I don't remember that from the Clone Wars. Is that, like, a thing in the Clone Wars? Oh, I don't... I do not remember. I just... I recognize that name, and I was like, yeah, sure. But I, I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've been in that particular arc of the Clone Wars. Is it what she? Is it what she uses to fight Mace Windu? Maybe, because that's the only time I can remember her even fighting like hand to hand at all. Yeah, that might that might have to be it. You know, he Filoni's trying to do whatever the hell he wants with that kind of stuff. So it could also maybe be 
in Maul's weird collection of stuff when he's living on Dothamir. Anything is possible is what I'm saying. If you want to, I'm sure we could come through all of the seasons of the Clone Wars. And Rebels. That what I just mentioned but, is from Rebels. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Rebels, of course. Also, then again, there's so much less Rebels in general in this show than I was hoping for. Hera's barely in it. Chopper's barely in it, which is even more egregious somehow. I, why, you, why couldn't he just go with? I don't know. I am really kind of furious that they did the cliffhanger of the end of Rebels is Ezra's gone out to some other galaxy and we gotta go get him. And sure, you tease that with Sabine and Ahsoka, but are you really telling me that Zeb and Hera didn't play more of a role in that effort than, well, Zeb wasn't here at all, despite being teased at the end of the last season of Mando. Oh and my god. Hera doesn't even hug him when he gets back yeah that was like i get it shock i get the whole deal he for some reason didn't take off the helmet that he had well, on. that is kind of an ezra move i feel like, to, like it'd be really <laughs> funny if i picked him all out then again he's yeah i guess that's an ezra move it maybe if he hadn't been straight up missing for so long and he wasn't seeing his mother figure his adopted mother figure for the first time in a decade or whatever, how long it's been. Once again, two characters that we've been waiting to reunite since the end of Rebels that just, like, they just happen to be in the same room, I guess. Zeb should have been there for that, and Zeb would have... Zeb would have hugged Ezra. Zeb would have just... crushed his bones <gasps> that I'm sure are malnourished from however many years <laughs> eating crab people food. <laughs> I did love Ezra's characterization. However... I also think it's a really boring reveal that, okay, after all this time of wondering where Thrawn and Ezra went off to and what they were up to and everything, their dynamic has just not changed at all. It's just like, okay, Ezra ran and went off into hiding and Thrawn is still Thrawn. And like, I was hoping for some, I didn't think they were going to go like full Defiant Ones, Zeb and Callus, like, you know, we're not so different, <laughs> you and I. I didn't think they were going to go, because obviously Thrawn still had to be the bad guy. But I would have liked the idea that their dynamic had changed in some capacity over the last several years that they've both been stranded on this weird planet. Because they're both in the bridge of the Star Destroyer, right, when it uh -huh. blasts off at the end of Rebels. So presumably they get to this other galaxy and they have to, like... I don't know, chat for a second, maybe. I don't know, like, it's in some way establish a relationship of what it means that they are pretty much the only two people in charge in this distant galaxy of their various sides of this conflict, and they're going to have to either coexist on a planet slash a 20-mile radius of each other for some reason, or, I don't know, wasted opportunities all around, I guess is what I'm getting at. Two, two follow-ups to those thoughts, which I completely agree with which are Thrawn is smart enough, he's a good enough tactician that he would have recognized Ezra has played his card, and even though probably they are a decent physical match for each other, especially back, like, you know, back when Rebels was mm -hmm. happening, Thrawn is really adept at hand-to-hand combat, and Ezra is a Jedi, so, you know... You would think that Thrawn would have been smart enough to recognize that Ezra is kind of less of a threat on this planet, maybe is more of an asset to him there and tried to not sway him to the dark side because we know that Ezra's put up a fight against that but tried to appeal to him in some way other than just seeing him as an adversary to be crushed and I think that we'll circle back to overall even though Thrawn is 
far from the worst adapted character in this. I did feel like he was a lot stupider in this than he was in Rebels. I had a very, very similar thought of, like, they're on the bridge and they get to this new planet that they cannot get back from, and then in some way they do have to, like, begrudgingly maybe see the fact that hey, maybe we don't have to immediately fight each other right this very second because uh-huh. there's no reason to right at this very second and maybe we can do something interesting with that kind of interaction. But nope, they're nope. just, it's just, yeah, you're you're not wrong. He feels like, for as much as they were trying to make him feel like, you know, super genius tactician Thrawn in this, it feels like the gaps that they didn't fill in with the other stuff also makes it feel like the gaps in his competency are just, like, glaring by the time he's actually on screen. And then the second thing that you mentioned of it's weird that Ezra's just kind of, like, hanging out nearby. I know he's with nomadic people, so he could have been anywhere, and he hasn't told us everything that happened on the planet yet, but there's all this Mortis stuff, and obviously Balin is going to some weird place at the end of this season that we don't know about. And so, like, you tell me Ezra wasn't off dealing with any of that was he just like chilling with the with the hobbit crabs yeah, the whole right? time he didn't see any giant statues and think maybe that is something worth checking out he out went here. to the world between worlds he knows all about this mortis stuff like yeah yeah he does what the hell i mean i don't know we we uh, i don't know balin as you mentioned where we have cliffhangers with him that was actually more of a surprise than probably anything else in this show not just because Ray Stevenson so tragically passed away since he was probably 100% the best thing in this entire show. But it seemed like he was rounding out to having some kind of confrontation where he was going to accept a role, possibly his own death, or be more... I don't know. His, His motivations are a mystery, which I'm happy that there's still something to look forward to if they can pull off that kind of recast in season two once again this show forgot about half of its principal cast including its two main villains for the last couple episodes there's clearly still more story left to tell thrawn star destroyer leaving the planet even ezra getting home are not the logical endpoints for the story that this season started telling it switches gears halfway through very quickly and sloppily resolves the story threads that are immediately brought up and then leaves Ahsoka and Sabine and Hu Yang and Shin and Balin just all hanging out with no resolution to their arcs. There's no final confrontation between Shin and Sabine for the season, which is how this whole thing starts. There's no final confrontation between Ahsoka and Balin for the season. And she has the most staged, stilted, lightsaber duel ever with morgan elsbeth who thank goodness is dead because who cares <laughs> yeah i'm glad she didn't make it home for to dothamir for that one because that is just whatever man Le- leave her in the dust i i do not mind but i can't believe she made it the whole season truth be told i thought they were gonna kill her early and be like see remember from mandalorian okay she's dead fine we're like we're moving on now i guess i'm gonna uh... The fact that we do have this, like, entire cast now that are on the planet that we've been so curious about for so long, and they are maybe going to actually do stuff there that matters next season, I'm I'm vaguely interested to see what Shin is doing with the Raiders, I guess, maybe, if they're having fun there. And It's weird that they kind of had that, like, moment between them where he's like, go take your place 
in an empire that you might be able to, you know, gain your power from whatever. And then she just kind of misses the boat and goes back to hang out with <laughs> it, the Raiders. It's so weird. It's just such a weird, because it's I guess so he could strange. have been referring to, okay, you know, look at the great untamed wilderness that you can claim, which would be an interesting direction for the show to go. I suppose it's not really where I want the show to go. That conversation that she and Balin have is one of the most interesting parts of this series, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like it's followed up on in any, not even any meaningful way, just any way at all. It feels like a mid-season finale at best, it you know? Does. Like, it feels like in four more weeks, we should be getting eight more episodes. We don't and... know what's in Thrawn's mystery bo- literal mystery boxes. We <laughs> oh do my not god, know. yeah. I mean, it's just gonna be bodies, right? It's just... Oh, I maybe thought it was like going to be Kyber. Sith, uh, I thought. I was oh, yeah, maybe it. Kyber. He's going to shove gonna build it all another Death into, Star. Oh, no. Thrawn was actually the mastermind behind Starkiller Base. Ooh, like, no, no, no. That's not going to be the way here. This is not the way. This is not the way. Where's <laughs> Where's Mando when you need him is not something I ever thought I would say after last season. But, man. Mando season three was like stupid, but at least I was like being surprised. It had the Babu Frick family in <laughs> season three of Mando. You know, I don't know. I think the Babu Fricks should show up and help Hu Yang and the Hobbit crabs <laughs> work on the spaceship. Hu yeah. Yang is going to help the Babu Fricks make tiny little lightsabers. Yes. And they're going to run around slashing dudes. Well, I do think that Hu Yang and the Hobbit Crabs is very similar to Chewbacca and the Porgs. That's a very fun feeling, I think, of that. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. They team up at the end. Hu Yang, I think it's really weird that Ezra doesn't understand who Hu Yang is, but clearly Sabine and Ahsoka, I mean, obviously Ahsoka does. Yet, we don't get any further explanation to how... Ahsoka came to meet up with him. Obviously, he's been flying the ship around, she implies, which, like... Yeah, what? because uh, I don't remember his last appearance in animation, I don't think. Does, was there some big dramatic send-off, or is he just, like, just not in the next episode? Yeah, because he's only in a couple episodes of The Clone Wars. So yeah, I the feel ones like... with the kids and stuff, but, yeah. like... Yeah, it's strange. It's strange. What did you think about the, the whole, like, I helped your master build his lightsaber, here's his spare pieces? Uh, one of the best parts of this show, this should... The whole show should have been, like... Great, they talked about Kanan actually engaged with that concept uh, that this is a Rebels sequel and that Ezra has been influenced. Like, he should have had more of a sequence of building his own lightsaber and he should have gone through something before that to craft it instead of just being like, okay, well, I gave Sabine my last lightsaber and I did John Wick like the Force for a couple episodes, (laughs) so now it's actually time to build one. He's just like frantically like, shoot, shoot, shoot. I gotta gotta scrape something together in the back of the ship because we're on the way to the confrontation. Which I do feel like is a very Ezra move, but it doesn't even, like, it doesn't have the urgency behind it that I needed to have. If they were like, literally, okay, we're coming up on the fortress and he, like, in a speeding chase and he's like, oh, I gotta get my stuff together. I would be a lot more into that, but then they couldn't stop and have the conversation about Kanan. Mm -hmm. But they half-assed everything. That's the real problem with this show is it half-asses Ezra especially, which is one of the stronger aspects and it can't decide what it is. It can't decide how to tell its story. But, I mean, yeah, I like that he's got Kanan's thing on his lightsaber. I'm into that, even though I, mean, yeah, I wish they'd done it in a better way. I, I agree with that, for sure. It's not as half-assed as something like... I feel like the Clone Wars flashbacks were 
it was I was excited at the idea of it, and then it happened, and I was like, oh, so they're just gonna not show anything for some reason? They're gonna plop in a Rex, and they're gonna uh-huh. make me try to freak out about it? I don't know. This is the Siege of Mandalore. Oh yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yeah, come on. Like, they, oh, they already God. have the stupid giant CGI model of that exact yeah. place that they went to in Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Honestly, just make the world between worlds animated, and that's... There I would you go. into it, dude. It actually... Well, but then people I, would all be mad about, well, we wanted Hated back, man. We I wanted, guess, we wanted I don't know. back, man. That also felt like a weird message... In that whole episode, just in general, of just like that, sure is Hayden Christensen. You know, he yep. sure does wear his Clone Wars armor at one point. That that's that's interesting to see, but it felt like it really didn't mean anything. It, and ditto for the Hayden Force Ghost at the end, who's also just like, I guess Force Ghosts can just follow people around. I guess they're all on Endor <laughs> at one point. Well, yeah, exactly. Oriota's on Octo. That's true, that's true. But, again, they're just trying to show me things from the prequels at this point and go, like, see, see? And that's... Leave that for Marvel, damn it. I know Star Wars is just Marvel now, but I, I, I would like them to be as separated as possible. Well, it ties in with my whole frustration of... They're trying to do something thematic by, like, see, Masters and Apprentices and... Yeah, sure, Anakin technically needs to be there for that theme to be present in some capacity. But they don't do it in a way that's clear enough, and they don't certainly do it in a way that makes me believe that that is the thing that makes Ahsoka earn her being Ahsoka the White. All of the Tolkien and all of the Lewis homages feel like a fourth grader was like, (laughs) I think Gandalf the White's cool, so my character is going to be Ahsoka the White. Oh, uh, man. Uh, the disappointment of not having her start off as Ahsoka the White, like, would make sense to just so that they could do it again in this show. And then <laughs> and not, worse. like, I was like, okay, so they're gonna actually show us how she earned that. And I'm like, I don't, again, her character's been done, so I don't see how she earned that. To me, she earned being Ahsoka the White by confronting Vader on Malachor. That's yeah, oh, when she yeah, becomes sure. Ahsoka the White. She has that exact same kind of confrontation where she has to, you know, wrestle with herself as much as the person she's literally fighting with in Rebels. And then they just double back on it for Hayden Christensen and it's not as worth it and it's not as spicy because it's weird and they're just in a haunted house with a fog machine for some reason. Just nothing but fog machine. And and that's all we really get. And I appreciate that they're trying to resolve her relationship with her master. I don't feel like that's done here. I just don't. Because that's not a piece that can be found by having your force ghost tell you it's okay. That's a piece that can only be found inside yourself. And you would think, like, seeing the fact that, okay, sure, maybe Anakin turned out for the worst, but I went to whatever planet Luke was on, and I saw the fact that his son not only was able to save Anakin, but was able to turn out okay. Like, that's a cool idea, that that Mm. would heal her. 
and that's something that has canonically happened before this, but we're not going to acknowledge that at all. She doesn't bring up Luke once. Speaking of Hu Yang, does Luke know about Hu Yang? Because he's running all over the galaxy right now trying to find all of the... Like, oh, yeah! He, Wait a minute! There's, like, a whole Battlefront 2 quest where he's he's looking for, like, one scrap of parchment with some Jedi writing on it. And I'm like, you know Hu Yang is 25,000 years old and knows about every Jedi that ever lived. He can hit you with the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, I hated that the so much. Just the fact that that's the best episode of the show, I hated that so much. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty corny, um, especially because this show, didn't it also start with the only opening crawl of a non-mainline movie yep. at this point? And that seems like it should also be like a pretty big deal. That's like not meant for the side stuff, and that's pretty much almost been explicitly established. This show is simultaneously proclaiming itself as this is the new big Star Wars thing. This is the new entry in the giant Star Wars saga, but it also doesn't have anything to say. It doesn't have... It's like, okay, well, we've decided that this is going to be the next big thing, but now we have to quickly rush out and figure out what we're actually going to do with it. Yeah, I for, for a little bit there, I was starting to think about, like, oh, oh no, Disney is trying to start, like, the next generation of the main characters that they're going to beat into the ground for (laughs) for decades. And it's going to be like Sabine and Ezra and they're going to be training Jason and Ahsoka's going to be there and they're going to have run-ins with Mando and Luke sometimes and Grogu might hang out for a season or two and it's going to be like the young Avengers, but Star Wars. And they're just trying to be like, nobody liked our last trio of main characters. We got to start from like a weird middle ground of established (laughs) characters and try to mash them into every single entry that's going to be going forward. Ezra is definitely going to say Baby Yoda at some point, right? I was thinking that when he was quipping. I was like, that's how oh. we're going to get Baby Yoda into the main. In the verse. I mean, it's it's very possible. Because he knows Yoda. He, you know, they, That's true. They he chatted. saw the, yeah. Uh, baby, uh, Grogu's going to tug on Ezra's beard at some point, and I, I maybe won't dislike that. I like all these characters that we're talking about. I don't like what all of the creatives have decided to do with them. Yeah, it's just uh, the fact that we are truly locked into both this show and The Mandalorian pretty much for, for so many so many years. If we want to keep up with what is supposed to be the mainline canon things, I'm not really looking forward to what we've had what we've got coming up here i'm I, I we say it every time a new star wars thing comes out and we, we see the first two episodes and we're like oh i gotta see more of it or whatever you know and we're in denial but it's it's just not really breaking the trend right now and especially with ahsoka specifically so i i i don't even know i i am i even excited for balin and Hati and, Shin, and Hati. All, Shin Hati and all that stuff, which I was kind of actually hyped for at the beginning. I, not even really, which is very sad, but I guess maybe I'll try to lie to myself when season two comes out and be like, we'll see, I want to see what they do with Balin and stuff. You brought up Marvel a little bit ago, and Star Wars has become Marvel in that nothing is the big finale. Nothing matters. We're never playing with live ammo. It's always, here is the thing that is the promise of the next thing. And it's perennial, and it is diluted because of that. It is, here's the Mandalorian, which will tease you Luke Skywalker. And we're not actually, 
there's something that's actually interesting in that, but before we can do something actually interesting with that, we're just going to tease the next thing. Okay, Mando's back oh, Grogu, God. it's fine. We put the band-aid on that, we wouldn't want anything to change, would we? And so, you know, now we're back, it's all back to normal, and we're just gonna, now we're gonna talk about Mandalorian, that's the next thing, and there's gonna be some kind of big conflict coming up with Ahsoka, right? And so, stay tuned for Ahsoka, and that's gonna be a big thing. You watch Ahsoka, and you're like, okay, there's eight episodes of nothing, but stay tuned, because next season, stuff's gonna go down. And it's just, it's uh, that forever. And that's what Marvel that has forever. been since, what, Civil War? Unlike Star Wars, Marvel actually climaxed somewhere with Endgame. But Star Wars has not had something where it actually peaked yet. It, it's just been promise after promise after promise since Rise of Skywalker. And no deliver. Even the good stuff yeah, hasn't really... Dude. The good stuff has been the stuff that's self-contained enough that doesn't have to promise anything new. I'm looking at things like the Jedi games, the Bad Batch, and Visions, and even the good parts of Mandalorian are the parts that are self-contained enough that they don't have to promise a new thing. And instead, they're opting for nothing but callbacks, and despite all of the lore and interesting things and established motivations and characterizations that make characters feel like who they are... They're just going to jam it forward and chop it up into eight episodes at a time so that they can churn this out until they make their big Mando movie, which we will see in IMAX on opening day. No, we won't. We'll see it on Disney Plus when it unceremoniously drops to a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, God. Yep. You are looking into the Night Sister crystal ball right now, my friend. You are calling your shot, and I am agreeing with you. We'll always have... The Young Jedi Adventures on Disney Junior, Shapus. <laughs> we'll always have Andor. We Our will, always have, we will always have Andor. See, I can't even believe, I can't believe, that's an example of being able to tie your stuff into a larger universe while actually telling a good story. I mean, everybody knows what we think about Andor. There's no, I, I was re-watching Andor recently because I just needed something it's in my just life. So, it's just so good. And they want... You know, they'll sprinkle in that Mon Mothma of it all, and we'll, and I'll be reminded of, like, oh, yeah, this, there are good things that happen in this universe, but, oh, it's not it's not enough to just throw in C-3PO waddling into the room and being like, Princess Leia says it's fine, and then walking <laughs> out, and then that's it. Or just have Akbar in the background of that scene. <laughs> or we didn't even talk about the fact that our boy Carson Tiva is in two episodes of this show for some yeah, reason. Somehow more to do and more lines than any episode of Mando before it. And, you know, I'm going to stand by. I know you think the eyes are too green. And it's not that I don't agree with you. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, it's clear that she is trying to do something with Hera, and they're just, like, I think she's done a really good job of capturing the spirit of mm-hmm. that character. I think that she and Ezra are by far the two that feel the most like their animated counterparts on the show, but they just won't give her something to do, and that's a shame. <laughs> they, they won't give either of those two most interesting characters anything to do, even with each other, and <laughs> that is the worst. <sighs> I mean, when they wiped at the end during the reunion, I was like, that's it? That's the scene? That's the whole scene? It's not like that's teasing their reunion moment on the, that's like the first thing that's going to happen next season. They're going to cut to a big time jump where, you know, everybody's been separated again for a little while and Ezra's getting reallocated with the galaxy and all that, but they're not going to give it to us. They're not going to give us any kind of actual emotion that should come with finding out that the person that you love and have grown so close to is not dead like that's a big deal yeah 
Oh, Seamus, it is too... I, I know neither of us expected <laughs> this to be what we wanted it to be, but it really is too I, bad. I was saying it before, my expectations were not even that high, but I I was disappointed nonetheless. I feel like even in a show that was built up through... Like, I'm th- I think back to the Ahsoka episode of Mando Season 2, her, like, Ronin episode... And ending with her saying, where is Thrawn? And that being like the, oh, snap, here we go. That was the promise uh-huh. of, of them saying, hey, we didn't forget the end of Rebels. And we're telling you right now that that is what's coming. And then even with him on screen, he barely does anything. He feels different. And then he's out of his danger. End of season. It, The promise was broken, Garrett. When the main character of your show and who becomes the main villain of your show don't meet face to face and then have a like a Skype call at the end, maybe that's a problem with the storytelling structure of the season <laughs> of television. So. I think so, dude. I that one moment where Thrawn figures out who Ahsoka is in association with Anakin and like being a little shook about it, I was like, That's great, but then <laughs> doesn't matter anyway. Doesn't matter at all. Weird, weird, weird stuff. And we'll be back for more Star Wars talk sooner than you could say Yum Nub, I'm sure. (laughs) Faster than you could say McClunky. (laughs) (laughs) Overall, you know, it wasn't the worst Star Wars thing, so it's got that going for it, I guess. It's got that going for it, which is nice, but... (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel like we're ending this this main segment so discouraged and sad. I I know that we were already kind of going through this entire main segment, not super jazzed about anything, but we're tired, guys. It's it's just I want I want some more good Star Wars. I think I'm gonna go maybe catch up on the Bad Batch finally. You should. That, you should. Do now that. that I'm at rock bottom Star Wars wise, I think I'll go have a little fun. Bad Batch is great sprinkle in some young jedi adventure because you like the high republic guys they're coming yeah. to jedi adventures i know you're jazzed about that and andor season two is not that far away i know they have they've shown some teasers at, at comic cons and star wars celebrations and such so i know we've ended this segment like four times but <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our pop culture reference before we get more discouraged about the current state of star wars oh let's do it For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be taking a look at the history of PlayStation's alternative consoles. Sony's announcement of a new, smaller model of the PlayStation 5 is consistent with the company's history of releasing alternate, improved versions of their consoles over time. This practice dates all the way back to the original PlayStation, which had an iteration confusingly named the PS1. Released in 2000, six years after the original PlayStation, and just a few months before the launch of the PlayStation 2, The PS1 was a smaller version of the original PlayStation, which was compatible with all of its games, though did omit a few ports and buttons for the sake of space. This version of the console was immensely popular, becoming the highest selling game system of that year and even having an attachable 5-inch screen released for it in 2002. Four years into the PlayStation 2's generation, Sony unveiled a slim version, which not only served as the next generation of the console, but despite removing the internal hard disk drive, added a built-in Ethernet port to support online play. The PS2 Slim helped catapult the already mega-popular console into one of the most successful of all time, with its production not ceasing until 2012, 
six years after the release of the PlayStation 3. The PlayStation Portable, Sony's handheld system, went through the most revisions of all. In 2007, the PSP 2000 was released with improved controls, display, and USB charging. Then in 2008 came the 3000, which was a minor upgrade that mostly improved the display and added a microphone. 2009's PSP Go was a sleeker design that added Bluetooth connectivity and removed the disk drive, only allowing games to be played, downloaded from the PlayStation Store. Unlike the previous revisions that got smaller and sleeker, the final iteration, the PS Street, was merely a budget model that lacked many of the features of the previous versions, such as Wi-Fi access and stereo sound. Like its predecessors, the PS3 released a smaller, quieter slim model three years after its initial release. The slim version did not, however, feature the ability to play PS2 games, which the launch model had. At the same time, the PS Vita was quietly launched, and not long after, the PS Vita 2000, otherwise known as the Slim, joined the tradition of not only being more cost-effective than its predecessor, but also having overall improvements of both hardware and software. But that's not the end of the story for the PS3, as in 2012, the PlayStation 3 Super Slim was announced, which was an even smaller, lighter version of the console. This iteration was initially criticized for its noise while playing discs and its overall cheaper appearance, especially with its new top-loading disc player, though it ended up being the most reliable version of the PS3. In 2016, when announcing the slim version of the PlayStation 4, which would merely replace the older design of the console, Sony broke new ground by announcing an additional alternative version, the PS4 Pro. The Pro was similar to the PS4, but with the upgraded ability to play games in 4K, plus upgraded processing and VR power. It was also quieter than the original model. PlayStation's fellow gaming giants have also begun to incorporate this type of staggered upgrading to their system rollouts. The Xbox 360 saw two smaller, improved versions released during its lifetime, the 360S and 360E. Similarly, the Xbox One released the smaller, less powerful Xbox One S, three years into its lifespan. These served as a precursor to Microsoft's next console, the Xbox Series X, which offered a smaller, cheaper, less robust alternative, the Series S, at launch. Even Nintendo, notoriously reluctant to bend to the will of the larger gaming industry, released a Wii Mini version of the Wii in 2012. While the practice of releasing smaller or improved versions of game systems is not new or exclusive to Sony, the PlayStation series of consoles and handhelds has been one of the most consistent at making these adjustments over the last several decades. The new version of the PS5 is just the latest in a long line of this practice, and it will be interesting to see if Sony elects to produce a Pro version down the line. Seamus, have you ever had a slim or a Pro version of anything? You know, when, when we were reading this over earlier, I, I kind of had the thought, I don't think I've ever not had some sort of slim version besides my PS5. I had the sleek silver PS2. I had the middle ground slim PS3. Oh no, I think maybe I did have a launch PS4 as well. But even in like, you know, my my older brother had the PSP 2000, I believe. The one back in the mm. day when that was like a huge deal. That was like such an incredible upgrade. But I feel like I, I like the idea, especially... Every time, almost every time, Sony does a version of this, it does kind of become a little more cost-effective, or at least gets the hardware out on shelves a little bit more easily accessed than the people who have been, like, 
you know, the notorious PS5 rush that that everybody was trying to jump on, including you. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a nice practice. I love my PS3 Slim. I famously do not have a PS4 or a lot of, or any other Sony consoles other than my PS3 until I got my PS5. I also didn't include it in this reference, though I think it's worth noting that a lot of people consider the SP, the Game Boy Advance SP, to be a slim version of the Game Boy Advance, but I think that shenanigans. I think that counts as a different console. <laughs> it's its own. Just the just the fact of backlighting alone on the SP makes it more than just a slim. Damn it! That was a whole. That was a whole upgrade. Now I understand that thinking more than I understand. Nintendo technically classifies the Game Boy Color as a version of the Game Boy, which is extra insane. Well, I mean, now, I, we also didn't mention this in the actual uh, point here, but, like, the Switch has about f- four different versions now, and they're yep. coming out with a Switch 2, maybe, soon? Which, yeah. If that doesn't sound like a, a Switch Pro or whatever, I don't know what does. Well, they've got the, I think... Ba- the closest we're ever going to get to a Switch Pro is that OLED switch that they've got because yeah, they have said I that agree. they've focused entirely to looking at the next console that they're creating, which makes sense to me. And honestly, with the way, you know, PS4 Pro made sense because 4K was becoming more and more market accessible and the PS4 didn't do 4K, but I don't necessarily see a world where the PS5 needs a pro version. We we still can't do 8K stuff, even though technically the PS5 can run 8K. You know, I don't see resolution or frame rate or anything leaping to a point that the PS5 cannot handle it. And I think we can both agree that with all of the trends of the Slims and the different versions of everything and all of that, I, I've thought this every time a new version of a similar console has come out, Microsoft and Xbox have absolutely bungled their naming conventions in every conceivable way from the moment they decided to make a different version of their own console a couple times over. It is absolute nonsense. <laughs> that is something I will stand by. I'll agree with you on that. It is, I mean, the Xbox especially, I don't even... I was having a hard time writing this, trying to remember which <laughs> Xbox was which. <laughs> it is, it's flabbergasting that it's X S. Series X, Series S, 1, 1S, 1E. It's nonsense. It really, truly is. But you know what isn't nonsense? Save in the rec center, Seamus. Oh, thank God. Let's do it. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly rec amendations. Seamus, it's been one million years since we've recorded a podcast. What do you got for me? Well, Garrett, I know we just got done talking about how sick of Star Wars we are at this point in time, but I have something, a blast from the past, the remaster of Star Wars Republic Commando, the Xbox exclusive from like 2005 that a few years ago got a remaster It's a very interesting piece of Star Wars media because it was released after Attack of the Clones and before Episode 3, so it's this really weird pseudo-canon view of what the Clone Wars was before the Clone Wars was expanded upon. Uh, And I know that the Republic Commandos got uh, into, like, the Clone Wars in the background and some episodes here and there, but this is just, like, a really unique... Uh, devastatingly challenging first-person shooter that feels like 
kind of the most rad Halo clone you've ever played. And it's all Tamir Morrison and and that whole crew doing their thing. So it's a, it's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend it to you. But what do you have to save the rec center this week, Garrett? Well, Seamus, to get, you know, it's officially October now, and so I am here to usher in this season of Frights by recommending a cute little horror comedy that I watched a few days ago on Amazon Prime, Totally Killer, which is What If Back to the Future were a slasher movie. Oh, that I, I remember I came across that title when I was scrolling around the other day and I had no idea what it was, but that, that sounds like a really fun concept. Kiernan Sherpka, best known for being Sabrina the Teenage Witch in the new Sabrina show, goes back in time and has to team up with her teenage mother in the 80s to stop a serial killer. Great, that's awesome. It's got, you know, some issues, but I really enjoyed it overall. It's pretty inoffensive in terms of being a horror movie, but some of its horror scenes do have a little bit more teeth than I thought they were going to. It's not as good as something like a Happy Death Day or Freaky, but I think it's definitely in that ballpark. And if you enjoyed films like that, you would definitely enjoy Totally Killer. Well, I'm definitely going to check that out, man. Tis the season, like you said, so I'm in. But that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us on social media at PCR Podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. And next week, at long last, you and I have some gaming to do, Seamus, because we will be covering Spider-Man PS4, although I think both of us are playing it on our PS5s to <laughs> yes. prep for this episode. Ooh, man, I, I can't tell you how much fun I had platinuming this in, like, four days nonstop play. <laughs> it, it was very... We'll have a lot to talk about, my friend. I am very excited to get back with you next week. Adios, amigos.